you can go ahead and have a seat this morning. While you're getting settled in, you can go ahead and open up to the book of Romans. Uh, we'll be at the end of chapter 9, spilling into chapter 10 this morning, so you can get situated there in your Bible or Bible apps. And if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to take one of those Bibles out of the chair in front of you so you can read it uh, and apply it to your life. We'd love nothing more than for you to have God's Word in your home. Uh, and my name is Robert Smith. I'm the student pastor here, and I'm excited to, to be sharing with you this morning. And one of the things that, that I thought about as I was getting ready for this weekend is that there are all kinds of areas in our life that don't include instruction manuals. And some of the things are, are really important. You know, we've got all these basic things that have instruction manuals, uh, but yet some of the bigger things of our life carry no direct instructions or directions. And whether it be our, our friendships uh, with other people, our marriages, our jobs, no direct instructions. And probably the biggest one for all of us is with our children, right? Like, I remember when, when uh, we first had uh, our son, who's almost three now, and I remember thinking there's nothing in life that quite shows you how little you know about the world around you, like having a child. And, and I remember after being in the hospital for a couple days, you know, you'd have these doctors and nurses coming in and check in, and they'd take the temperature and check vitals and all that, and they're taking care of you. Hey, you need anything? Here's what you need to do next and stuff. And they come in kind of out of nowhere, and they're like, all right, you're good to go. And you're like, oh, okay, cool, yeah. Let's do this. And so you get loaded up, and they, they walk you down to the car, and they say, okay, uh, take care. You're all set. And you're like, oh, okay, cool, yeah, let's do this, sure. And, and you drive home, and I remember my wife and I, we, we got home, we kind of unloaded our son Eli, and we're sitting there, we sit down, and we look at each other, we're like, well, now what? Because <laughs> you, can't, you can't turn the baby over and look at like step two of the instructions on the back of the onesie. Like there is no instruction manual for this. The soup can in the kitchen it's got directions, but the child that you're supposed to provide life for, no, no instructions at all. And, and, and that's the reality that, that we live in, that life doesn't have an instruction manual. My wife and I, uh, we got to step back into this reality because uh, 11 days ago, we were blessed with our second child. We got a little baby girl at home now. And thank you. We're... We're blessed, we're excited, uh, and grateful to have uh, another child, but, but we're realizing that the second one's not much easier because that first like solid month of, of a newborn, you're so sleep deprived, you don't actually remember anything. There's nothing like a long-term memory that sinks in. So you're like, wait, wh what do we do again? Like, do you remember? No, do you remember? No. And, and, and so you're starting all over in that. And, and all this is because life doesn't come with directions. Life doesn't come with directions. It's not like we're handed a manual that says, okay, here's what you do with your first kid, here's what you do with your second, and so on. Here, congratulations, you're now married. Here's your instruction manual. Life doesn't come with directions, but at the same time, it does. Because see, God has given us his word. The Holy Bible is God's word that teaches us what to believe and how to live. And while it doesn't give us those direct step-by-step, -step, God gives us guidelines for our life God gives us instructions in general areas that says, hey, I'm not going to tell you, you know, how often to feed your child, but I'm going to say, hey, here's how you be a parent that honors me. Here's how you create a family dynamic that points your kids to Christ. And it doesn't say, okay, when your kid starts driving, whenever that will be, or, or when this happens or that happens, here's what you do. But it says, hey, here's general instructions on how to live a life that honors me. 
And Paul, as we continue in our study of Romans, is going to dig into this a little bit. So we're a little over halfway through the book of Romans. It's 16 chapters total. We'll be in chapters 9 and 10 today. And, and Paul's going to stop for a second and say, hey, let me give you guys a little how-to manual here. And it, it's going to seem like a little strange place to put it because for the last nine chapters, he's been talking about different aspects and different things about what it means to follow God and, and different areas of our life and how we, how we obey God and live for him. And he's going to stop here in chapters 9 and 10 and say, hey, guys, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here. I want to make sure that, that we actually understand what it is to follow Jesus. I want to make sure we all know the proper steps to make this happen. And so he's going to say, hey, let me debunk a myth first of how we think this happens, and then let me get to how it actually happens in our life. And so we're going to look at that, and all this is important because we believe what the Bible says, that we are all sinners in need of forgiveness. We are all people who have failed, who have fallen short, who are broken and in need of grace from God. In fact, Paul mentions it back in chapter 3. He says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's standards. And, and so we all are in that place. And, and the reality is that we were designed, we were created, we were intended to have a relationship with God. But the truth is that our sin has created a separation. The book of Isaiah says that our sin creates a separation between us and God. So Paul's going to say, okay, let's, let's look at a little how-to. How do we get to God? How do we restore that, that relationship? How do we fix our problem of sin in life? And then what do next steps look like as we do that? So we're going to kind of step through the, the chapter 9 and 10 of Romans and uh, kind of stair-step through that as we take a look. So read with me, if you would, Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 30. And we'll walk through uh, the following chapter as well. So Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 30, Paul says this. He says, What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that's by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? He says, Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They've stumble, stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying that the, the myth he's trying to debunk, the myth that he's deconstructing for us is that, that we think we get to God with works. How we think we get to God is through works. He's using the Israelites to explain this for us here. Because if you remember back a couple weeks ago, Pastor Chad explained how the Israelites, they were God's chosen people, God's chosen nation. They were set apart to be his people, his conduit of blessing into the world. And, and what had happened over time is they had drifted to a point where they just thought they were good with God simply because they were Israelites. They, they thought, hey, we're good with God. We're in with God, so to speak, and, and we don't have to worry about anything. And, and, and everyone else, these Gentiles, they were all on the outside. They didn't have the grace of God. They didn't get any of that. And so it was kind of an us versus them mentality with the Israelites. And then Jesus comes along, 
and, and kind of throws a monkey wrench into their whole plan because now you've got Gentiles who are following God, who are receiving this grace, and, and the Israelites are like, wait a second, what about us? What's this mean for us? And so Paul's helping them work through what this means here. And the big thing that he's wanting us to get here is that salvation is not based on who we are or what we do. Salvation isn't based on who we are or what we do. Because the Israelites had fallen into one of those two traps, depending on who they were. They, they were like, well, we're good with God because we're Israelites. We're, we're, how could God not love us? We're, we're awesome. Look at us. We're Israelites. We're God's chosen people. And they thought simply their heritage, their family line was good enough for them to be saved, for them to have forgiveness for their sins, for them to have a relationship with God. If it wasn't just that, they were thinking, oh, well, it's because I offer sacrifices. I go to the temple. I obey the Sabbath. I live a moral, upright life compared to those Gentiles. And Paul is like, no, that's, that's not what it takes. In fact, when you look at verse 3, he shows that, that they weren't saved because they were trying to pursue righteousness on their own. See, God expects righteousness from us. That's his standard for us. And when Paul's talking here about Israel, he's saying, hey, their issue, the reason they aren't good with God is because they're trying to do it on their own. They're trying to do it through works. They're trying to do it through their sacrifices, through their moral living, through their activities. He's not criticizing or judging them. He's even saying, hey, my heart's desire is that they would be saved, but here's the reason they're not. Because they got to a point, they thought they were good with God because of what their life looked like, because of who they were or what they did. And if we're not careful, we have that same temptation, that same difficulty in our life. If we're not careful, we can think, hey, God loves me because I'm American. How can God not love America? But more reality is we probably think, hey, I'm, I'm good with God because look at my life. Look at how involved I am at the church. Look at how much I serve him. Look at how long I've attended church. We might think, oh, God loves me and he'll, he'll forgive me because uh, of, of my volunteer time, because of how much I give to charity, because of what my family looks like. Or you might think, oh, God will love me because of how good I am at avoiding stupidity. And those are all good things, but they're not enough. Because it's not what God's standard is. It's not, hey, what does your standing in the community or your family situation look like? Another temptation is that we have is we compare to other people and we say, hey, what's my life look like compared to them? And we saw this a lot with the Israelites. Jesus would be talking to the religious leaders and they'd be like, well, I'm not a sinner or a tax collector. And they'd call out like the, 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 the worst in their society and say, well, I'm, I'm good with God because I'm not one of those people. And we hear this in, in our day too. Oh, I'm not the best person in the world. At least I'm not a murderer or a bank robber or something like that. And, and we apply this comparison and say, well, at least I'm not one of the worst of our society, so I'm sure God will love me. Or, or we, we compare it directly to someone else as if it, it works on averages. And you say, well, I'm not the best person ever, but at least I'm not like Dave down the street or Dave at the office. It's always Dave, isn't it? It's like, it's the, it's the guy we pick on. If your name's Dave, I'm sorry. I, I, didn't mean this for you, but, but we compare to other people. We go, hey, am I better or worse than them? And as long as I'm above average, I, I think I'm okay. 
But that's not how God sees things. It's not how God looks at our life and evaluates our standing with him. Because the reality is that God does not grade on a curve. God does not look and say, hey, are you above average or below average? Let's take the the median and we'll apply them a passing grade. And if they're above, then awesome. Bully for them, yay. But if they're below, okay, they gotta work harder. No, God doesn't evaluate us based on our standing in the world or how we compare to other people. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, God gives a pretty blunt explanation of how he sees our life. He says, if you were to take all of our like religious like accomplishments and achievements, if you were to take everything good you've done for God, Isaiah 64, 6 says that God looks at our righteous acts and considers them to be filthy rags. It's not that God doesn't appreciate those things or God doesn't appreciate our efforts. It's that they come up short. God's standard for our life is perfection that's modeled in Jesus, and everything we do is going to come up short in that. We're going to fail to meet that standard every single time. Our, our life as an American isn't the standard. Dave down the street's not the standard. Jesus is. And so if we're trying to get to God on our own, like Paul explains with the Israelites, we're going to come up short. So how do we do it then? What do we need to do? Let's, let's keep reading in chapter 10, verse 5. Let's see what Paul says to complete this. It says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near to you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So what's Paul saying here? He says the way that we actually get to God is through faith. We can't do it on our own. We can't assemble some kind of good enough life to get there. The only way we can get to God is through faith. He says that the way that we do that is by faith in Jesus. And it's, it's a simple formula. He says the way that we become followers is to confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. He says, that's the formula. That's the the how-to. That's the step-by-step. And he says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So, So my question for you is, have you made that commitment? Have you made that decision today? To say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of the world. I believe he was born of a virgin and lived a perfect, sinless life. I believe that he died on a cross for my sins and then rose three days later. And I've made a commitment to follow him with my life. If you've done that, then you are are restored in your relationship with God. Your sins are forgiven and, and you've received God's mercy and grace. And the amazing thing that happens in that is there's an exchange that happens. Throughout church history, this has been referred to as the great exchange. 
Because when we make that commitment to follow Jesus, there's a couple things that happen in our life. And Jesus brings a couple substitutions into our life. And, and the first is this. The first is that our punishment is paid for by Jesus. Scripture explains that because we're sinners, because we've rebelled against God, we deserve punishment. We deserve eternal punishment and damnation. It's not that, that God's up in heaven like, ha, 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 look at them, like bent on destroying us. It's that our actions have consequences. Just like there's, there's consequences for our actions here on earth, there's eternal consequences. But the scripture explains how when Jesus went to the cross, he took the punishment that we deserve. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says this, says, he himself, that's Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus took the punishment that we deserve when he went to the cross. He took our punishment. For him, the agony wasn't just the physical suffering and pain. It was also the fact that he was taking the punishment of us, of each and every one of us, every person for all of history. And, and the good news is that even though we have a debt, a penalty of punishment, it's paid for by Jesus. We don't owe that any longer. We have been given a clean slate and a fresh start in the eyes of God. And, and this is just one half of this exchange, but I think a lot of times we stop here because a lot of times kind of the tagline of Jesus is he, he died for us and it kind of stops there. But like I said, this has been referred to as the great exchange. And it's not a great, you know, takeaway, but a great exchange because Jesus takes our punishment, but then we receive Jesus' righteousness. And that's what makes this so amazing, the fact that not only does he take away our guilt, our punishment, our condemnation of sin, he gives us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. It says, for our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We become the righteousness of God when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. Think back to the beginning of this as Paul saying, hey, what was Israel's shortcoming? What was their problem? It was they tried to be their own righteousness and they came up short. Our efforts at righteousness, no matter how good it may be, will come up short but when we put our faith in Jesus, we get his righteousness. We get his perfection. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see a sinner that is broken and messed up and full of regrets and pains and shortcomings. He sees someone who has faith in his son Jesus and thus has his perfection and holiness in their life. See, we get to God by having faith in Jesus. And when we do that, we get his righteousness. And remember what Paul said, the way we do this is by confessing with our mouth Jesus is Lord, and believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the how-to. And a lot of times the, the response to that is, that's it? That's all we have to do? And if you're new to following God, let this be a little bit of a relief that yes, that's all God wants. He's not saying, hey, go get your life figured out, go be perfect, and then let's talk. No, he's saying, hey, this is what I ask. Just have faith in me and I'll do the rest. But that's not where the story ends. Following Jesus isn't the finish line. In fact, it's, it's much more of the starting line. 
Because when we enter into that relationship with Jesus, he says, okay, let's get to work now. Let's start the life that I have for you. In fact, the book of Ephesians chapter two says this. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when we get to that place where we say, okay, I have relationship with Jesus, God's saying, hey, let's get started. Let's figure out those next steps. And, and he's going to give us some next steps here in the book of Romans. It's not that now what do we do moment, like when we bring home our infants, but he's saying, okay, let me give you some next steps. Let me, let me talk about some things that are next for us. So let's keep reading in Romans chapter 10, uh, down in verse 14. Let's pick up there. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. What Paul's saying here is, is if we want to live as a follower of God, we have to be a messenger. He's saying, you want to know how to live as a follower? Be a messenger. Because all of us have been tasked with this responsibility. Scripture says, if you're a follower of God, our responsibility is to go and be a messenger. Take this good news that Jesus died for our sins to give us his righteousness. Go and deliver this good news to everyone you know. And, and I, I love how he, he explains this because he, he almost asks some rhetorical questions. He's like, hey guys, remember Israel? They're like, yeah. And he's like, remember how they don't have saving faith? And like, yeah. And he's like, remember how that's because they don't believe in Jesus? Yeah. And he's like, how are they to believe if no one tells them? And he's saying, this isn't their problem to figure out. This is also our responsibility. The, the fact that there are people that are lost and without Jesus around us isn't just a problem for them to deal with and figure out, but a problem for us to take responsibility in and help them by delivering the good news of Jesus to them. And, and this is something that's really close to the heart of us here at Calvary, because we know in our community, there are 40,000 plus unchurched people here, people that, that don't know Jesus, are not involved in church, and don't have an active relationship with our Savior. And we know that, that no matter how many pastors we add to our staff, we could not reach 40,000 people because this is not just a job for pastors and, and ministry staff. This is a responsibility for us as a body of believers, as a community of Jesus followers. And that's why Jesus says we as people need to go and be messengers. We all rub shoulders with those 40,000 unchurched people because those 40,000 people are your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. They're your kids' soccer coaches and dance instructors. They're your checkout clerk at bashes. Those are the people that, that we want to reach, that we want to deliver the good news of Jesus to. But it takes us as a community being messengers. So let's look at three ways that we can be messengers of this good news. Here, here's three kind of next steps for you, and these are not all-inclusive. These are not the only ways to be a messenger for Jesus. These are just three ways to kind of kickstart stepping into this. And the first one is this. The first is to invite. 
And you hear us talk a lot about this here at Calvary of, hey, this is a model for, for being a messenger. Simply invite people to church. And it, it might seem like a little bit of a cop-out, like, okay, this is like the easy way out. Just invite them to church. But it's actually a biblical model. Because when Jesus first started his ministry, the disciples met him and were like, wow, this is, this is the Messiah. This is the one. And several of them left Jesus and went and found a friend or family member, literally like drag them. You got to meet Jesus. You got to meet this guy. And it's that same model that says, hey, Jesus has changed my life. Jesus has done something radical. Come to church and come hear about him yourself. Being a part of this church has changed my marriage, has changed my life, has changed my situation. Come check it out. Give me an hour of your Sunday morning, your Saturday night, and I'll buy you a meal after. And we here at Calvary, we're going to work hard to make sure this is a place you're comfortable inviting friends. And we love meeting uh, the people that you invite. You come up and say, hey, this is my friend, this is my neighbor, my coworker, whatever. Uh, but we're going to make sure they're not like weirded out or alienated or anything like that. Um, I remember my wife and I moved to Kentucky to attend seminary several years ago. And we're looking around at like churches to get plugged in at. And the second church we went to, they're like doing their welcome. They're going through their announcements and stuff. And they're like, at this time, we'd like to recognize our guests. And I was like, oh, that's nice of them. Yeah, that's cool. And, and they're, they like point and they're like, would you guys stand up? We, my wife and I, we're the only guests at the church apparently. And they knew it from stage. They're like, would you please stand up and introduce yourselves? And we're like, uh-uh. Uh-uh. And, and, and here we are, like, going into ministry. I want to be a pastor, and I'm even like, no, I'm good. Thanks. We're never going to do something like that here at Calvary because we want you to, to invite a second time, not just a first time. But we want this to be a, a, a place where you're comfortable inviting people no matter what walk of life they're in. We want this to be welcoming and accepting of anyone no matter their situation or faith background so they can come hear the good news of Jesus. So who can you be inviting? Who can you tap on the shoulder and say, hey, would you come, be, uh, come check this out? Come, come see this church. The second thing you can do is involve people in your life. And, and specifically, involve them in things that are spiritually oriented. Earlier, Pastor O.C. mentioned that life group signups are next weekend. And this is an awesome opportunity for you to do this. Because life groups are groups of people that meet in homes around the city that talk about the sermon and how to live it out and what following Jesus means and, and how to honor him with our life. And, and one of the cool things we got to see last year as we kind of reflected back on the last 12 months at Calvary uh, was some of the stories of life change that happened. And, and last year, there was 164 people that were baptized here at Calvary. And, and that's awesome, and we get excited about that, because that means 164 people had their lives changed by the power of Jesus. But one of the cool things in that group of people that we saw was that there were about two dozen people that were baptized at their life group. And, and when we kind of dug into those stories, say, hey, what happened here? What, what's the backstory? These people were invited. They weren't church attenders. They weren't Jesus followers. They didn't really know anything. They weren't really interested in God. And someone said, hey, I got this group of people that comes over to my house. We eat food. We hang out. We talk about the Bible and stuff. Would you, would you be interested in that? And they came and they participated and they listened. And along the way, God got a hold of their life and their life was changed through the power of Jesus. And they said, hey, I'm now a follower of Jesus. See, life groups aren't just this little holy huddle of church people, but it's an awesome opportunity for you to involve someone that, that's maybe 
seeking God out and questioning, hey, what do I believe? Where am I at? So, so next weekend, our life group sign-up start. And if you're not in a group, I'd really challenge you, get plugged into one of these groups. Stop by the table, find one that works with your schedule and your location, and, and get plugged in. And if you are in a group, be talking to your, your life group leader, hey, who can we bring in? Who can we involve in this? So that we can journey alongside people, because we believe that life change happens best in the context of relationships. So invite, involve, and finally, if you want to be a messenger, we need to serve. If you're OCD and we're hoping for another I, I'm sorry. <laughs> but see, Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, he's, he's talking about himself. In Matthew 20, 28, he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, my model for living is to serve to sacrifice, to, to place other people's needs ahead of your own. And he's called us to do the same thing. And so for us, if we want to be messengers, if we want to follow Jesus well, it means we need to be people who serve, who sacrifice, who put other people's needs ahead of our own at times, who, who sacrifice for the good of other people. And we do this, we're showing them a couple things. We're showing them that we care about them as a person. Not just about some religious transaction like, hey, got one for Jesus, check the box. No, we're showing them we care about them. We care about them no matter where they're at or, or what their life looks like. And secondly, we're showing them a little glimpse of who God is. Because we could never serve and sacrifice at the level that God served us, but we can mirror back a little bit of that and say, hey, God served me. God sacrificed for me by sending his son Jesus so let me serve you a little bit. Let me reflect a little bit back to you. So how can you be serving in, in our community? How can you be serving it, it for your friends, your family, your coworkers? How can you sacrifice and put other people's needs ahead of your own? And you can do that outside the church through your workplace, through your family. You can do that here at the church in, in one of our ministries. Maybe you want to invest in other guys in our men's ministry. Maybe you want to invest in women it, through our women's ministry. Or maybe you want to invest in our next generation through our children or student ministries. How can you be serving? And if you want to do this in, in terms of an event, we've got an awesome opportunity coming up in October. About six weeks, we're going to be having the biggest serve opportunity of the entire year called Serve Our Schools. And this is something we get really excited about because we've worked to the point where we have an open invitation from the schools to do a massive serve project. We're going to be sending volunteers into every single school campus in this city in the, the month of October. And for one day, we're going to be sending a couple hundred volunteers to complete about 100 work projects in this city to show our city, hey, we care about our community. We care about your kids and your family and the, the environment they're learning in. And so we'd love for you to partner with us with some painting and beautification projects at, at the schools because uh, we're going to need six, seven, eight hundred volunteers to make this happen. And, and so this isn't like something for other people to do. This is something for us to do. And so you can go sign up right now on our website, calvarylhc.com. You can uh, check out a project. If you've got something that bugs you at one of the schools, every time you drop off your kids, the doors are mismatched, you can go and help paint them and fix that so you don't get bothered by it anymore. <laughs> but we're going to go serve so that we can show people the heart of Jesus, so that we can go be a messenger. Because God's given us some instructions here on how to follow him and how to live that out in the book of Romans. 
So our question today is, are you going to, to follow that out? Or are you going to try to do something on your own? Because Paul's saying, hey, we can try and assemble righteousness. We can try and get to God on our own. But the only way we actually get to God is through faith in Jesus. And just like Paul, our heart's desire for you is that you would believe and follow him and then be a messenger to the world. And we pray that you would take the next step in living that out this morning. Let's pray.